0: hey everybody it is Jean nathan and this is crosstown conversations and we have some both great things for you to do Uh, actually one of the best fundraisers i know of because it's so original and it's so much more fun than sitting at some boring all-night dinner thing. Thank
1: you for saying that. Yeah, oh. no,
0: I love this this thing that we're about to talk about called the almost fall bus crawl, y'all. Um, and then we are going to get a little serious for a bit and talk about how to weather the storm, so to speak, and deal with the trauma that comes along with disasters. And we have a, a woman who is an expert on this, and she is going to help you um, really be Process. grounded and, and deal with it. And then third, I have this great gal and Lloyd who is going to. Um, she's gonna. She's gonna talk about some of the great things to eat in this kind of transitional period that we're in between summer and fall. You know, what's, what's on the menu? And she is Yum. a fabulous caterer. Yum, right? Yum. So, first of all, Amy. <laughs> yes. Smallwood, who yes. is the head of something called the Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation, an organization that's really interested in things that you hear me talk about all the time, too, which is all about our creative economy and our creative producers and how important they are to our our, our city, our region, our state, and um, our future.
1: So very true.
0: But that's the serious part. However, for the fun part, to raise some money for what she does, she's got this bus crawl going. And it is coming up. It's next week. It's Thursday, September fifteenth in the evening. Starts at that really hip cool Ace Hotel. Yep. So we're you know, where else would you start a really fun event but there? And um we're gonna talk about what you're gonna do on the bus crawl and um how much it costs and all those kind of cool things. So. Yep. Amy, first of all, where did you get the idea for this?
1: Um, well, believe it or not, I had been invited on a, a, a mini bus crawl by my friends, um, Reese Johansson and James Michalopoulos. James is the sure, artist. artist Reese is a performance artist. And they had um, had a party bus f- with room for about eight couples. And we went with some couples we'd never met before. Um, George Rodrigue and Wendy were with us, um, Chef I'll Newell Norman. And his wife and um, we hopped around town and saw some really crazy stuff and then ended up eating dinner and had so much fun we didn't even know each other before that very well and um, and it I planted this seed in my head and um, so I credit those guys for it but you know I came up with the name because I was trying to think of about a time of year when there's not so much going on we used to do an event in November and it was when everybody else crazy. in the universe has events. Yes. Yeah. And, right. you know, we want everybody to be successful. And we didn't want to, like, sh- file ourselves in the middle of, of two major events. Mm-hmm. So um, I was looking for something that was almost fall, <laughs> and then <laughs> it just kind of came to me. And uh, so we have to do it right before fall. And, and I try to shove it in there when it's probably going to be the coolest, which is, like, minutes before it, it, it comes well, fall. Well, you know, that's a funny time of the year because uh, in, in my – I'm
0: such a kind of weather freak. I kind of track weather. And I've noticed that almost every year in the middle of September, we have a little cool breeze that wafts through for about 48 hours. gets hot again after that, but not Open as hot as it was the before. 15th. Well, you know, it may very well. That's my yeah. whole point, that this is around the time. And you know what's so weird? As hot as it's been, you know the sweet olives bloom in the fall and winter, right? Those yeah. those, those, those trees that had that really yep. lovely fragrance. And they were a couple little sweet olive blossoms, on my trees on my property. Really? Like about um, a week ago. I said, "What are you doing here? They're this confused. is too early." And it's so hot. And it's so hot. It's so However, hot. However, I took it as a harbinger that we are going to get that cool breeze. Well, it's coming. Right on, time for your crawl. It's
1: coming at uh, 5 p.m. on September 15th. There you uh, go. <laughs> and that's because we we leave the Ace Hotel. What we do is we load buses, big hotard buses. Um, With patrons. And we we start and end this year at the Ace Hotel. They're very generously donating their space and parking for our guests. And um, we we basically check in, hop on the buses, grab a cocktail, and take off at 6 p.m. sharp. So, you know, for our guests that are coming, if you're there at (laughs) 6.03, you might miss the bus. But um, it's a wonderful event, and it benefits the organization and our programs, and we go from place to place. So we're going to go from the Ace Hotel to Rebellion, which is a fabulous restaurant on Camp Street. Um, I'm crazy about Rebellion. They have uh, Chris Sheftabar there who's doing some... Really amazing appetizers for us, including house-made um, duck on fried green tomatoes and
0: mm. stuffed
1: shrimp crackers. I did not have
0: lunch. You know, you saw I just sorry, ate I'm that little bit of yogurt, hungry. you know. Yeah, I okay. did see that. Go ahead.
1: And, um, and a fabulous specialty cocktail that he's making for us there. And we're going to have some music, some live music, because, of course, we are the Cultural Economy Foundation. So we're going to have a fabulous all-girl trio um, led by Michaela Harrison. And then we're only there for 40, 45 minutes, and then we hop back on the buses, and we go to um,
0: Cafe, Cafe Assemble. Assemble
1: with our friend Chuck Perkins, who is going to do spoken word. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: The best, the best, the best.
1: He He's so good, Gene, that last year he was on our bus crawl, and he was the fav- favorite stop. Let me tell
0: you something. He used to co-host with me a little bit or fill in for me on this show. Now he has a five-day-a-week show. I think it's from Jazz 10 to 11. Is that when Chuck is on? And he blasts away. And you don't have to tell anybody in the WBOK audience about Chuck because he is a classic radio host. Because he is a fabulous spoken word artist. Yeah, he's he's
1: amazing. So we'll go there and we'll have some fabulous salads by Hamley Foods. And then we will have um, the Cajun Spoon coming to do some um, jambalaya and gumbo. And then we'll have open bar. And then we leave there after 40, 45 minutes, and we go to Côte Blanche Productions, which is in the old Marigny Firehouse. And Côte Blanche is a film that's, that's in.
0: Uh, is that Marigny, or is that uh, already in that's Bywater?
1: Marigny. It's on Mandeville Street. <laughs>
0: it's on Mandeville. Yeah, Mandeville Street, I think, is still ma- Marigny. Yeah, I
1: think it is, too. Yeah. But um, our friend Glenn Petrie is there with Cote Blanche Productions and they're going to have some other um, film business folks there as well doing some, like, demos and some clips. And we're going to have – A little bit of networking. Yep. Good time to meet
0: some folks in the film industry. And we're Uh going to
1: have some food. And I'll tell you what's so interesting about the food at this is that we have a program called the Catapult Fund with the Jazz and Heritage Foundation – and um, two, three of our participants in the Catapult Fund are providing food. They are culinary artists who are currently going through a four-month boot camp that gives them business training, and at the end of it, concludes with some sort of granting. And um, so I, I contacted our our participants in that boot camp and said, does anybody want to do this? And three of them are coming forward, um, including two girls, one, Shuck, who are all-girl oyster shuckers. Uh,
0: and, you see, let's just stay on that for a minute because I know you have one more destination to mm-hmm. talk about. But um, just so people know why this is yeah, – well, let's go ahead and do the final destination. Then we'll talk about why this is important. Okay,
1: so after we leave Cote Blanche Productions, we go um, back to the Ace Hotel, and the Ace is providing this decadent dessert spread. I mean, when I read it – my ma- yesterday I had to pick out three kinds of mini cupcakes, and it was pretty tough. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really going to be awesome. And they'll have open bar. And at that event, we are introducing something we're calling the Breathe Easy Band. And what this is, is it's sort of modeled on the um, the, all, the, the levy all-star band that goes around and calls attention to the fact that we need to raise funds and support the replenishing of the levies um, and wetlands, the wetlands all-stars. And um, so the Breathe Easy Band is a band that will travel the state and carry the message of smoke-free bars and clubs for okay. performers. Uh-huh. And uh, so we, this will be their first, this will be their debut performance, mm. um, and we're going to put some real serious effort into branding them and marketing them and setting them around the state after this event. So we're real excited about that. Fabulous. And so this whole thing is, is sponsored by... Capital One. And um, they're our title sponsors. Chevron is also one of our major sponsors. So we feel very, very lucky to have that support. Lucky and, yeah, and and, um,
0: uh, it's uh, critical for what you do. And um, now is the time
1: for you to tell folks, you know, why this is so important. Well, you know, everything that we do in uh, Louisiana, in my opinion, uh, falls on the uh, foundation of our creatives and our successes, our uh, businesses. The reason people come to Louisiana to visit, the people, the reason people come here to live, the reason families um, enjoy their quality of life, is because of the incredible culture that we have. And um, unfortunately, we have the tendency to take them for granted, and to underpay them, to underinsure them, to under, um, recognize them, and. They lack access to resources and to capital, so the Cultural Economy Foundation works really hard to try to connect them with the resources that they need. Uh, We have a number of programs that fall within the realm of of supporting entrepreneurial creatives, and um, that includes the Catapult Fund that we were talking about a minute ago. That includes the Louisiana Culturepreneur Fund, which is a microloan program for creatives and small creative businesses that's piloting this year in Acadiana and greater New Orleans. Um, and we also have a program, a new program, called the Culture Incubator in partnership with the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. and Which is located right near the Superdome it's, uh, on uh, yes. Lafayette It's on Street? the corner of Lafayette and mm-hmm. uh, Okay. O'Keefe. O'Keefe, mm-hmm. real close to Rouse's, that whole blossoming area. Um, it's a great spot. We have beautiful office space available for small creative businesses or small cultural nonprofits or individuals that need a space to do their work and that are focused on some entrepreneurial task. Uh, we have 13 mentors that are available. They're amazing people in the community. They are people who have a wide range of skills, and we're um, Just now signing a four-year contract with Louisiana Economic Development to um, offer specific training, and we're going to customize um, another boot camp and uh, ongoing training just for creatives who are in the business world, um, struggling with you know how to how to do QuickBooks, how to um, you know read a financial statement, what kind of insurance is needed, how to handle personnel, those sorts of things. So. And beyond that, we also, in Lafayette, have an office that handles our health care initiative. And our health care initiative essentially does two things. It helps creatives to sign up for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, We're certified to do that. And also, we travel the state um, and work with Louisiana Public Health Institute to carry that message of smoke-free bars and clubs for performers, and we were very instrumental in passing that ordinance in New Orleans. So I I think that um, another reason why this is so important
0: that I think I really, we we, we talk about this on this show on occasion, and uh, on occasion like every show, Um, but one of the issues we have is that um, I don't think people realize how many of the new and folks who've been here forever are creatives, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and we have folks who are trying to nail this, you know, people in the city have a survey that they're trying to do, and, and um, I think we all would love to see more s- folks signing up so that we have a better count on our creatives. But a lot of people t- tend to talk about, oh, the entrepreneurs that have come to town, the techs that have come to town. And I have this theory, but I just don't have the proof for it because we don't have the numbers, that a very large percentage of those folks, of the techs, and the entrepreneurial folks who have come to town are actually creatives.
1: Yeah, I suspect you're right. And um, I know of an effort that's going on that could help you with this because I know you've been working on it for a long time. Um, trying to make it happen for a long time. Working on it is another word. Trying to make it happen for a long time. Um, one of our um, members of our incubator is a group called Culturalist. They're a business, small business. And um, Culturalist is, tr- is working on a database of... Creatives in New Orleans because he himself is a sculptor and a creative who came here and he didn't know where to start in terms of finding people who were like him. And so he's putting this database together and he's creating an online platform that will connect. Didn't we, didn't, I'm sorry,
0: isn't he the guy that got yeah, that the.
1: Won, yeah, that won our pitch contest. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he's
0: really got, making yeah. it happen. He's great. W- That's he's great. So here, oh, I'm sorry, that was a <laughs> an in-house aside. So last year when we did our Creative Industry Day at the New Orleans Entrepreneur Week, we do a pitch contest with the downtown development district. And um, culturally, are so the folks who won the pitch. So we got they got a little bit of money to get off the ground with and.
1: And they're in our business incubator.
0: Fantastic. Oh, they are? Yes.
1: So what their platform will do is connect individuals with creatives directly so that they can support them. And so essentially you would go online, you would sign on, you would say, man, I love this group or this artist, uh, and I know they struggle. So I'm going to pledge $5 a month to them just to help them out. And then... Um, once they do that, they get something back from the artist, so a little snippet of something they 're working on a free ticket, a backstage pass it 's kind of like a um, ongoing
0: Kickstarter in a way instead of being a one off you know and and because some Kickstarters give things uh, i know when we did our Kickstarter last time we we did um, art uh, for yes. for uh, various levels but so this just keeps going.
1: It keeps going. Kind of like the
0: SPCA thing too. You com- commit to being an SPCA member and you put your five dollars in a month, and it right. just
1: yeah. It's similar to that, although it can be you know very small. I mean, it can be a dollar. Um, but what I really love about the whole concept is that it has that th- its technology has wide appeal to younger people who um, need to be cultivated as philanthropists, and this is this can be their way. Of being philanthropists and learning philanthropy at a young age, so yeah, I'm thrilled that's about
0: terrific. it. Terrific! That's that's really a great idea. Yeah. Um, tell me about some of your other uh, programs. Uh, again, trying to nail why the tour, which is obviously so much fun. And by the way, you know, the, it the, it's got a little bit of a ticket on it, so it's not, you know, it's not it's not a uh, whatever the bus. I, I don't ride the buses here; they're too damn slow. But um, it's not free. Yeah, it's
1: one hundred and fifty dollars a ticket.
0: Yeah, so you know it's an investment. All inclusive. You know it, it, it's it's uh, there, there are plenty of you out there who can who can do this, uh, plenty of us can't do it. I can't do it right now, but um, it it is it's uh, it's not an unreasonable level. And there are so many fundraisers that are asking for so much more now that this actually comes. But what you're getting is so much for it. Yeah. I mean, you t- you're getting four venues, the bus ride itself, which is a kick. The cocktails, all that food. I mean, you're getting, you're actually not, you're not actually donating. You are actually paying for
1: something that is worth
0: more than you're paying for it. That's true.
1: Um, All of our venues are very high end and off the beaten path, and um, they're really doing special things for us. And, And, you know, you mentioned that the bus is a kick. It is a kick. Um, We have performance artists um, who... On the bus? Yes. Brittany James, (laughs) who is a a theater actress, and um, Jose Torres-Tama. They're each bus hosts, and on each bus what they'll do is they'll they'll talk up, you know, where we're going. But they'll also do lightning-fast auctions. And uh, the auctions get pretty lively on the bus.
0: Oh, my God. Auctions on the bus, too, yeah. of
1: art, I, I imagine, Um Mostly not or? art. And the reason for that is because I don't want to ask artists to donate. Um, we try to ask, um, you know, businesses to donate things for, for the auction. But I should tell you, too, that um, you can get tickets in a number of ways. One is you can go online to culturaleconomy.org, and you can buy tickets there. Or you can call 504-895-2800. And um, and I will probably answer the phone in all likelihood and sell you a ticket. So um, please consider supporting us. Okay. So
0: let's let's run through these details again, and uh, make sure that because um, you know once is not enough, you always got to yep. repeat. All right. So it's first of all it's next Thursday, September fifteenth. We're Starting gonna have a cool six. breeze that's gonna come through. Yep. You go to the Ace Hotel, and by the way, they have valet parking, guys. They do. You for, have to for pay money. for it. I know, but, but you know what? It's so worth it not to have to search all over Anybody the place. Anybody who buys
1: a ticket is going to get free parking, and it's about a block oh, away. So we send is. you information about that once um, once you buy the ticket.
0: Okay, good. So there's that, too. Um, so uh, And the Ace Hotel, again, is a kick. So, I mean, go in there a little bit early and have a, a drink there, too. Yes, what, have a
1: drink at the bar. You know, the
0: bar is hot, hot, hot. It's so hot that, you know, if you go eat in the restaurant, you want to eat there at lunch, not at cocktail hour. Because right. it's buzzing. Um, and then uh, you've got Rebellion as your first stop, Cafe Istanbul, the second stop, Cote Blanche at the Old Maroney Firehouse, the third, and the Barnett Hall at the Ace Hotel for your concluding events.
1: So, And I, mean, I should tell you, too, that the, if you want to really extend the fun, you can book a room at the Ace Hotel that night and get a 20% discount. So, um, if when you buy your ticket, we can give you the code to use to get that discount. But um, it's really a nice thing that the Ace is doing.
0: And you know what? Uh, staying at the Ace is a kick. I, I took a tour and saw the rooms. I Went on, out with the um, Urban Land Institute people, the uh, ULI, and we saw the rooms and also the rooftop.
1: The a rooftop nice,
0: bar yeah. is fun. So um, yeah, that's uh, you can. This is this is this is a big date night, guys and gals. You should think about bringing a significant other along for the ride and and do the whole deal, so all right, so it's um dot org um and it is uh eight nine five twenty eight hundred that's eight nine five twenty eight hundred and it is called almost fall bus crawl y'all. And it is for the um, Louisiana Cultural Economy Foundation. This is Amy Smallwood working her heart out on this. So you need to support this, folks. Get on board. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You have a blast. All right. Now, um, we're going to have some fun this fall. But also, this is that time of the year when, you know, we've got our eye on on the Weather Channel. Um, I have a new radar site that I love to look at. It doesn't really tell you the future, but it tells you, you know, whether you can go for a walk with your dog or not. It's called My Radar. I just kind of love it. And um, weather bug, weather underground, whatever, you keep your eye on things right now because you just never know when something. I'll never forget the time that I thought this hurricane was going to Florida and I went to Mississippi Gulf Coast. I'm having a nice time, and my friends call me and say, when are you leaving? I said, what do you mean, when am I leaving? And there was a hurricane had doubled back and it was coming right at us, right? So, yeah, you have to watch out for it. And then, you know, I, I don't care how much they tell you what to do to prepare for hurricanes. There are so many variables, and forget just hurricanes. The the just plain old storms these days we call them I call them I think they call them superstorms, mm-hmm. are definitely related to the warming environment. And somebody actually once explained to me just recently what the connection is. So when it's hotter out, more moisture evaporates from the earth, goes into the atmosphere, things get soggier, and that contributes to fiercer storms. So that's how it works. That's what it's all about. Now, with me is Anne LaGarbo, who deals with that trauma that we experience with a disaster and tries to help folks have some kind of framework for how to deal with that. Is that a
2: fair statement? How would you? Yes and no. And so, what I um, do is I'm actually the um, chief medical officer for the Medicaid division of United Healthcare. And so, that's wha- a big job. <laughs> I love my job. Thank you. Um, a, a pediatrician of 31 years. And so, uh, because we deal with Medicaid and um, so many of our um, members were affected in the recent great storm of 2016, um, United Healthcare and um, Optum felt that it was incumbent upon us to um, provide as many resources as we could and information as we could to everyone who was affected by the recent storm. Um, So United has taken some pretty um, bold steps um, to try to help everybody who was affected. We've opened up a um, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helpline that's staffed by mental health professionals so that um, people can reach out when they're feeling the stress of the storm. And this is particularly um, devastating to people who were transplants from New Orleans and survived Katrina and then uh, moved to Baton Rouge thinking this is not going to happen again. And lo and behold, they're going through the exact same thing that they did in um, 11 years ago, and it's, 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 that's, that's just, I, I can't tell you how devastating it seems
0: to me, it must be, and I have family, actually, Mm -hmm. who lost their house in St. Bernard, went up to Livingston Parish, Mm -hmm. Denham Springs, and got hit again, thankfully, in their case, they did not lose their home a second time, Uh, but a lot of people around them went through it, so, and that's another thing that I, I know you're going to address. Did
2: not have flood insurance in this circumstance. Right, because they were told they didn't have to have they it. They were told they did not have to have it. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I mean, just for me, I lived on the North Shore um, during Katrina, and when I went to visit some of our own employees who lost everything, um, driving through one of the neighborhoods in Walker, absolutely caused flashbacks. And, and I what? caused flashbacks of what so many of my friends experienced right. Right. after Katrina. And it literally took my breath away in the car, seeing possessions lining the streets in subdivision after subdivision after subdivision. And if you really think about it, it's, it's, um, it can cause some post-traumatic stress. It's, it's like going through a death again. And for those people who have experienced it now twice – um, whether or not they're members of United Healthcare, we opened up the 24-hour line and said, look, somebody's here. You want to talk about it. Um, you need someone to speak with. You need somebody to um, just tell them how you're feeling. It will help. And so we opened it up regardless of, of your insurance, regardless of whether you're a commercial member or a Medicaid member. We're here. Let us help you. There are trained people who can help talk you through this because it is stressful. There's no question. So, about how
0: it. do you talk somebody through it?
2: Yeah, most of the time you're listening, right? Because um, in any situation, whether you, you're losing a family member, whether um, it, it's, it's a serious illness that you're going through, most people will eventually come to what they need to do if they have an ear. And if they have someone on the other line who can very gently explain to them that what you're feeling is real, it's a loss. It is a loss. It is real. And you have every right to feel, you know, overwhelmed. But um, we're here for you. It's going to be better. Tomorrow is going to be a little better than yesterday was. And the day after that is going to be a little better than tomorrow is. And so more than anything, it's being there for people, listening to them, and very gently encouraging them. you got to take that step, you know. The the way you're going to start to rebuild is one step at a time. So one step at a time means what? One step at a time um, in any situation where you lose is to first and foremost remember what your blessings are. Right? Yeah, this was bad, but it could have been worse, and it could have been worse because I could have um, lost a family member. I could have um, not had flood insurance. I could have been here and been swept away because we saw all the videos on TV of so many people who were swept away. So it's first and foremost to acknowledge this was terrible. I had nothing that I could have done differently than what I did to try to protect myself, but it could have been worse. It could have been worse because I could have lost my family. Look what I have. Um, you know, I had a nephew who actually did not have flood insurance and and um, got about uh, 27 inches of water a- in his house. And um, he had someone. 27 inches? 27 inches of water wh- wh- in the house. He wh- was wh- in Ponchatoula.
0: What are we talking about? Not this past time. Mm-hmm.
2: In, the, in the flood. Really yeah. that high? In the flood. Wow. Oh, and, and we have employees with United Healthcare who had nine feet of water. They were in Walker, and they absolutely nine have gutted. Nine feet. Yeah, they, they It was. It's devastating what's happened. Um, mm. But he had someone uh, who was uh, helping him with his house, and showed up a couple of days later, and um, I think really put him in perspective. And and they showed up in his house and. And everything is there, and everything is damaged, and they said, and he said, look what I've lost. And this gentleman who happened to be a pastor and a contractor said, no, you haven't lost anything. Look what's behind you. And of course, behind him was his twins and his wife. And so it helped him put things in perspective. Yeah, this is awful. This stinks. But look what I have. Mm -hmm. And so... um, it's one step at a time. It's seeing what kind of help you can get from FEMA. It's it's solving what you can salvage, and then letting go of what you cannot.
0: One of the experiences that I have had with the storm, um, just recently, as a matter of fact, is dealing with um, dealing with people who were really, again, uh, had already gone through losing a house and. Um, were hard to reach Mm -hmm. and um, myself and another family member were trying to help and our help was not really welcome in a certain way because I think the implication of our help was taken psychologically as we know what you should do right? and there was like I, and we probably did not again phrase things very well because contact was so on and off, right? Very hard because um, power was down, so cell phones were out and so on. Um, so I think let's talk about the people who are trying to help, right? Because they need help too. Yeah,
2: because they, they feel do.
0: badly for the folks who have been hit, right? And they are trying to help, and sometimes you. St- you, you, you step into it, and you, you think you're being helpful, but um, it's very easy to. It's, it's like they always tell people, you know, when someone has died, don't say, "Oh, you'll get over it." Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's not the right message.
2: D- don't tell the woman who just lost a child, "Well, it, you know, that miscarried a child." Well, at least you, you know, they weren't born yet, because that's it, it's grief, it's a loss, and people who have gone through this storm. Um, Go through the stages of depression and loss that Evelyn Kubler Ross has written about for decades, and we all know, right? Who that is that? Evelyn Evelyn Kubler Ross. The seven Cooper stages Ross. of Ross. Mm-hmm, the seven stages of depression: denial, anger, bargain, five stages. Denial, anger, bargain. Um, Depression and acceptance, right? So once you're flooded, uh, that out,
0: that applies again, not just
2: to losing a family member, everything, every everything. type of stressful event. And this is a stressful event; it is a loss. And so uh, many of these people, although the um, the denial is the the denial stage is not as great as it is. For example, if you've got a child who's dying of cancer, you're in denial for a long time with that. But you do though go through the denial and the anger. And the depression, and the bargaining, and the acceptance, um, and so sometimes we're catching people in the anger phase, right? Um, and, and we, we wanted to help. And I dealt with that when I was soon. working
0: on the planning after Katrina too, because I did a lot of outreach work on with the planning, and uh, wow, that anger was so powerful. And and people who were trying to, you know, some of the out of towners came in to tell us here's how to rebuild. And they're putting these ideas out just as people are coming home and discovering that they've been wiped off the face of the earth. Right. That was a
2: very bad cocktail. Right. And so they're still in denial that it's happened, right? And you're, and you're here trying to help them, and they immediately go into anger. Because after Katrina, of course, you know, we all second-guess what happened. I mean, you had your story about going to um, to the coast, and, of course, I was at a football game and I was on call and the next Saturday or whatever, I think it was a Saturday, I show up at work and my staff is frantic. What are we going to do? So what do you mean we're going to do? The storm is headed to Pensacola. And they're like, no, are you kidding? Did you look? And of course that, you know, I had the same experience that you did. But was it the same storm maybe? <laughs> it was Katrina. It was the same exact oh, storm. Oh, this wasn't Katrina. Okay. The term, so.
0: I never thought it was going to Florida. Uh, that, and that, that's actually another issue altogether that I don't know whether that's something you deal with, but... People read the signals wrong sometimes because they read it out of sort of uh, wishful thinking. Sure, Katrina, there was never any front that was going to block Katrina from coming our way. People are much more savvy about this issue now than mm-hmm. they used to be. There, but I knew. I looked at it. I watched it. There was, and that was one big old storm that sure. came around the tip of Florida. And there was nothing to keep it from coming, you know. So it never was going to Florida.
2: And this event, this great storm, you know, we talk about Katrina, pre-K and post-K, right? We, everything is is pre-Katrina, post-Katrina. Baton Rouge is going to go through the same thing. Livingston, they're going to go through the same thing, pre-pre storm and post storm. So their life is going to be, um, it's going to be partitioned just like ours was so many years ago, pre-storm and post-storm. But it is, it is, um. It is a, uh, the stages of depression, and so you, it's tough when you want to help someone and they're, they're still hung in denial and anger, right? It's easier to offer them help once they slide into bargaining and, and um, depression because then they're more eager to accept help. So sometimes you just have to sit back and say, I, I, I'll check with you in a few days.
0: Um, bargaining. Tell yeah. me about the bargaining phase.
2: Yeah, so bargaining is one of those circumstances where you relive it in your mind, right? If I had done this, maybe this would have happened. If I had, um, if I had really thought about um, coming in and taking all my computers and taking all my TVs and putting them up you know, four feet off the ground. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. And so that's a point where you start reliving uh, it in I your see, mind, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The same is with the loss of a child. What if I had done such and such? What if that had happened? And so you go through this period of bargaining, and then you slide into acceptance. And once you slide into acceptance, then you're more open to accept um, help from other people. And it's not that they don't want it, right? But we all have to go through these stages. They have to be ready to accept it. And some of us get there much sooner than others do, right? Some of us take a while to get to the point where we're willing to accept help. We all know we need it. We just, we have to meet at the same time. How did you come to
0: be doing what you're doing? Where, where did this um, knowledge and experience and, and willingness to, because, you know, it's, it's again, Looking at it, they you know they talk about the patient, but also the caregiver and the trials right. of the caregiver. Uh, this is not an easy job to have to deal with this kind of thing. So, so,
2: so I would love to tell you how I got to doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's my favorite story. I practiced medicine for 27 years before I accepted this job with United Healthcare um, as the chief medical officer of the community plan, and it was a perfect storm for me because we were becoming managed Medicaid. And I felt that um, I'm a very faithful person, and I felt that the good Lord was telling me, you know, I'm done with you with what you've done. I want to move you into another area. But he couldn't move me into that area until he changed me first. And um, he changed me with the with my first great-niece, and her name was Caroline. With your? My first great-niece. Her name was Caroline. Great-niece? Great-niece. You do not have a great-niece. I have millions of great-nieces. I have about 12 right now. But my great-niece was four months younger than my son, so the last grandchild and the first great-grandchild were four months apart, and they were best friends, and she was my patient. I took care of her. And um, this little girl um, at six, um, born into a big Catholic Italian family, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, Mm. which, of course, is a devastating illness. Well, it it kills, yeah. And it did kill. Mm -hmm. It did did take her life after Mm -hmm. a lung transplant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, Caroline taught me a lot about life, about love, about dealing with the unexpected, and about strength. And um, actually, uh, September 5th was the sixth anniversary of her death. Um, She died here at Children's Hospital about a year and a half after a lung transplant. The strongest... 60-pound child, 60-pound person I've ever met in my life. And it was living through Caroline's experience mm. of uh, unconditional love and and taking whatever the good Lord gave you and fighting for another breath um, that I realized, you know, I think I'm done with practice. I think I can probably help other people. So it was a little girl named Caroline who Ooh. prepared me for what I'm dealing with now. Um so is, is is
0: where where do you go go from here with this I mean um, surely you would like to see more people have the experience you had um, know how to help, and I, I keep coming back to that the folks who have to do the helping because mm-hmm. I think that's it's not as hard as but it's it's not easy either it's sometimes easy. so um what would you like to see happen in a way of some kind of Programmatic or policy development that would?
2: I think that, um, and we're actually working on this. I think as a state, we can do better. Um, this is not going to be the last natural disaster that we have, right? We're, we're sitting on the Louisiana coast. It's going to be something else. But I think as a state, we can do better, and we really should have done better post Katrina. So um, I don't think Aren't we're going to do better this time. Uh, Next. Minimally. Minimally. Yeah. I, I think that... So we didn't learn enough. I don't think we learned enough. And you know what I think really the truth is? That those who learned in Katrina didn't share with those who didn't. Right? And so that's what we're working now. Didn't share now. back then or now? Didn't share because, back then. Okay. I don't because I've heard a lot
0: of people comment that
2: they are
0: trying to share their lessons.
2: Yes. But I'm talking about on a governmental level. Oh, right? Yeah. And so... Um, I think that the responses could have been much more online. It should have been quicker. It should have been quicker. And, and I've, you know, we're working with the Louisiana Department of Health now. Um, I think there needs to be a playbook. Regardless of what the disaster is, there needs to be a playbook. So,
0: Anne, are you going to write it?
2: We're working on it. Okay. I'm, a- I- I'm actually on the committee with the Louisiana Department of Health to help try to streamline um, the emergency response, regardless of what the emergency is. This is what you do first. This is what you do second. This is what you do uh, third. And, and let me just comment
0: on this, and then I have to go to my next guest. Okay. But, um, you know, again, when I was trying to help this family member, and we were trying she, – she, she had – at one point she told us she had water two inches from her door frame. Mm-hmm. And so – and then we're out of contact. And so I'm saying, okay, we need to help line up rescue mm-hmm. mission for this, this gal just in case. So I get on the phone. And I'm trying to figure out who to call. First of all, I don't know who to call. That's number one. (laughs) Number two, um, I think in in the end, the first call I made and then the last call I made was to a television station just because I used to be in that business, and I know that those folks know what's going on. So I called there, and they said, well, call them. So I, I called. I think by the time it was all over, I had called the sheriff's office. I had called some kind of an emergency rescue line. I had called parish, the the, the uh, county government. Um, uh, I, I made about at least six, seven, eight calls before I could talk to someone who could. And, and also got conflicting stories, by the way. And and before I could get someone who could say, say okay, we'll put her on the list, right? Which meant nothing, as it turns out. You It right. just meant nothing at all. The communications communications yes. at the moment of critical, disaster aren't
2: they? are critical.
0: a mess. They don't exist. And, 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 and it's got to be improved. Add that to your list of yeah. things you need to improve Absolutely got to
2: be improved. Okay. So if I could just share the phone number for the Optum Healthline, if anybody would like to have it, it is 866-342-6892. And if you need to speak, you need to talk, need to vent, they'll be there for you. Do that again. 866 342 6892 all insurance welcome
0: is there is there a um, is there a uh, website that's easier to remember than the phone number in case people didn't get a
2: pencil out um you know i don't you, you know, know what i'll give uh, okay. no, to give that i do it's www.liveandworkwell.com
0: live and work well dot, dot liveandworkwell.com Thank you so, Thank much, you so Ann, much for what you're doing and for being with us today. Thank you, have and Miss Ann Wills, my buddy, for bringing you here. Thank you. All right, now having dealt with that, we're going to have a little bit of fun, and I'm going to press the button, and I'm going to have Ann Lloyd on the line. Is that true? Yes. Hello. Hi, Ann. So I don't know if you've been listening, but we have been talking about disaster and dealing with tough stuff. And, of course, at the end of the line, always the thing that is the most comforting in any situation is what? (laughs) Food. So let's talk food. And, you know, we're in that little transition moment where we're coming out of the summer when all you want to eat is is cold stuff and, and fresh veggies, your tomatoes and your corn, whatever, and we're going into the fall season. But we're not quite there yet, especially right now around here. It is still awfully hot. And so I mentioned to you when we chatted yesterday that I had a pea soup recent, recently, a cold pea soup that I adored that mm-hmm. was so delicious. And so it really piqued my curiosity about other kinds of wonderful things we cook. Now, you typify yourself as a catering service, but you're not necessarily somebody who we call and have cater, comes and caters parties. You make food which we can order and then come pick up. Is that right?
3: Yes. Oh, I do both, actually. Okay, we'll explain. I do we'll catered explain. events, and I also have um, uh, weekly meals that people can shop online on our website, order, and come pick up on Wednesday afternoons. Okay, now,
0: I don't know exactly how to pronounce the name of your company, so you say it. No Lavore. Okay, what does that name mean? No Lavore, folks.
3: No Lavore. Uh, well, it was a, a middle-of-the-night sort of inspiration Um I think I had just finished reading The Omnivore's Dilemma, and I'd gotten very interested in the local food movement at the time, and it just came to me in the middle of the night, and I thought, oh, Nolivore, that's everything everything food and everything New Orleans,
0: all in one. Those ideas that come to you in your dreams, in your sleep, and when you first wake up in the morning or when you're falling asleep, that's when it all happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so Nolivore, um, obviously I'm, I'm certain that you're dealing with local fresh foods, so give me some idea of the kind of things that you make and um, how people pick up the food, and and then let's talk um, some specific kinds of dishes that are good for right now, and maybe you can share a recipe with us.
3: Okay. Um, Well, I sort of have two different things that I do. do. On our weekly um, menus that we send out, we have items in the freezer that are available all the time, and those are... um, Typical New Orleans dishes um, that we have available just, you know, for convenience sake for people at home to just be able to grab something out of the freezer and have shrimp etouffee or um, then we do some other non-New Orleans dishes, lasagna, enchiladas, and things like that. Uh, but then each week we, have, we offer entree specials. Uh, we have two different entrees each week. We do a couple of sides, and then we have a soup, and those are all ro- on a rotating basis. And they typically incorporate what we have fresh at the farmers' markets every week.
0: So, what what kind of uh, things do are, are are you know in the markets right now that uh, we should focus on? And and then tell me some of the things that you are doing with them.
3: Okay. Um, well, right now we have. I kind of think of this time of year as the the vegetables that can just hold on through the hottest part of the season. Um, So they tend to um, lean more towards sort of tropical cuisine. There's okras in the market right now. We're doing okra and tomatoes on our menu this week. Uh, We still have some of the, uh, the summer squashes, the zucchinis and yellow squashes, we're starting to move more into a butternut squash. Um, and then we also have, we still have tomatoes. We've got probably the last of the peaches, the watermelon right now. And um, I just saw actually in a farmer's market this morning, um, my, my favorite, my ingredients for my favorite summer dish, which is green papaya. Greens. What? Green papaya, which actually I grow, <coughs> uh, but you can also buy it at local farmer's markets. But I, spell of spell I,
0: I can't quite get that word. Oh, papaya, P-A-P-A-Y-A. Oh, papaya, greens, papaya. Okay, got it. All right, well, let's let's deal with green's papaya for a minute because that sounds pretty intriguing. What are we talking about there? What do you make it with?
3: So this is um, the dish that I make is sort of based on a traditional uh, Thai dish. And what we do is we, now of course, you can eat ripe papayas as well, but we pick these before they turn orange. These are still in the green state, uh, and we peel them, seed them, and then slice them with a mandolin slicer to make sort of Julian slices of the papaya. Um, and actually, before you before you do that, you do need to rinse it off because before it's ripe, it has kind of a, a bitter liquid that will come out of it. So you want to rinse that off first, then julienne the papaya for the salad. Um, and then we incorporate some other things that are that are in season right now with it. Um, you can use green beans, or the best kind of beans to use are yard-long beans, which are um, uh, Southeast Asian literally yard-long beans, uh, very tasty. And Do we, we grow those we,
0: around here, yard-long beans?
3: Yes. I, I, you can get them at the farmer's markets, and I have grown them before, and I, I didn't plant any this year, and I've been kicking myself all summer long that I don't have any. Uh, but you can grow them here, and this is the time of year that they get ripe. This is the very end of the summer. Uh-huh. Um, and then also in that salad, there's a little bit of garlic, a little bit of green onion. Um, and then for the sort of Southeast Asian flavor, uh, some lime juice, which uh, limes are just starting to come in right now. They're the first citrus of the season to ripen here in the um, and, and a little I didn't bit of realize there was
0: any citrus that ripened this early, so um, okay. I guess I uh, don't have any lime in my garden. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, it was kind of a strange year for limes this year. The mine are definitely ripe and juicy, but they are small. They're about half the size they usually are. Hmm. Um, so I don't, that's just the fun of gardening, I guess. It's different every year.
0: And, you know, it's been raining so much that so you would think that actually they would be bigger than usual.
3: I uh, know. You think they would soak up all the rain? And yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Weird. Maybe it was actually... I don't know, if we can remember back in the spring, it was actually, it felt cooler than usual back then. Oh, maybe. So maybe that's. Really? Maybe that's what happened. i got
0: that. <laughs> okay, so that sounds delicious. Um, what else is on the shelves? And, and uh, let's, let's talk about um, another idea.
3: Um, okay, also on our menu this week, I have a, um, a grilled salmon with uh, pesto. The Thai basil that I have is just going crazy right now, so. We're using that to make pesto. All the herbs look really good right now. Well, the hardier herbs, I guess, rosemary and oregano, marjoram, chives, thyme. Um, So we're trying to incorporate that into a lot of things. We have just a simple side dish of of orzo with herbs and lemon zest. Um, And... And for this week, we also just have a vegetable soup, just because we've got so many different options at the farmers market right now. Just throw them all in and make a nice
0: big old vegetable soup. I love vegetable soup, I truly do. And I I just like to add whatever is lying around into it. I mean, not a shoe in my closet, but (laughs) you know, just some some you know miscellaneous ingredients that you might not think about putting in with them you put in and it, it usually works
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and one more thing that goes in the uh green papaya salad i forgot to mention we put in some hot peppers uh we're going to use serrano but you could use any any kind of hot pepper that you like they've got tons of those available right now jalapenos and the red fresnos i saw today uh, lots of options in that department
0: this might sound a little bit boring, but it, it's, it's so important to me because um, I, I don't do well with this because I tend to buy – oh, let me buy this fresh whatever. And then it sits in the refrigerator just a little too long. And <laughs> I don't think my refrigerator is quite right. I think it's too moist or something. So things tend to – either I've kept them in there too long or – I haven't packaged them right, and they get kind of yucky. So my question is the best way, for example, herbs, basil. I love basil, but if it's been mm-hmm. in the refrigerator, you know, more than a few days, it tends to turn brown or black. And by that time I'm figuring, okay, this, this isn't good anymore. I might as well throw it out. What's, a, what's the best way to, for example, um, store uh, your, your herbs?
3: Yeah, basil is a tough one, especially um, the kind I use, Thai basil, because it really wants to be in the tropics. It doesn't want to be in a 40-degree refrigerator. Um, so sometimes what I do, really for any herbs, the best way to handle them is to get a little little cup of water and sand them up in there, just like, you know, in their, in their growing form. Um, and some herbs you can even just leave out, in your kitchen like that. Thai basil is one you can leave out for a few days like that. Mint uh, is a good one to leave out like that. Um, but I think the main thing is to keep them hydrated and, and aerated. You don't want to wrap them tightly in plastic where they can't be exposed to the oxygen. So, keep them fresh, uh, but that's right.
0: interesting about keeping them out of the refrigerator. And I've actually, I've done uh, in some cases like parsley, um, especially if I if I put it in the refrigerator and it's wilted, I'll pull it back out and put it in a, a glass of water, and and it'll um, you know revive to some extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to leave it out in uh, in the water, that's a better solution for the basil in particular than putting it in because it makes me so mad. I love basil, and I hate and I like to put it on my tomatoes, you know, with a little bit of. Um, mozzarella cheese that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. um and and too often it just sits there just a little too long and turns all brown and black and it just I don't know what that means. I guess that means it's basically disintegrated and it's not um really edible anymore. But um and how about um some of the other vegetables? Uh again, they they seem to just I I think there's just too much moisture in my refrigerator. Really I don't know what it is. So how long can you keep some of these fresh vegetables is what I guess I'm trying to get at.
3: Uh, well, it depends on what they are. And also it depends on the age of your refrigerator. If you have a brand-new refrigerator, they'll last much longer. Um, well, Katrina, our, it's, it's a our,
0: Katrina new refrigerator. What's that? It's a Katrina refrigerator. You
3: know, after yeah, well, Katrina, we all got new refrigerators. New this, is, this is your excuse to be able to go out and get a new refrigerator. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> Right, next year, not this year. <laughs> they're not
3: cheap, those guys. But some of, you know, some things will last a week or even longer if they're if they're kept. And you should uh, periodically check the temperature on your refrigerator, not just the the settings. Get get one of those quick-read thermometers, and you want it to be, you'd like it to be really at 40 degrees. Oh, that's Most good to Most home refrigerators are warmer than that. Typically, they might be 45, 48. That is uh, really good to know. Ideal is under forty-one.
0: Okay, good. Okay, now here we go. We're 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 coming into fall. We have just a few minutes left on the show, so let's. Uh, what's what's next? What's next up now that uh, we're we are starting to enter the fall? So, isn't this melatonin season? Isn't isn't this when we start getting uh, melatons?
3: Uh, Yeah, Merloton should be coming in. I guess Thanksgiving is probably the peak time for Merloton, so that'll be coming up. Right now, um, the uh, the new thing in the market is apples. Right now, Um, that's sort of the quintessential harbinger of fall, I suppose. Um, And um, and then we're well, we've had we've had sweet potatoes, but those will just be coming in more. Regular green beans are starting to come in. The melons are going out. The, the green um, so we'll beans have, have been of looking fall great lately. Fruits available. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then after that, we'll get into um, well, we've got some some summer greens right now, mustard greens and collard greens. So we'll get into the more tender greens like spinach, uh, lettuces, um, bok choy we're going to have probably in a, the next month or so uh, those kinds of things this is to me salads are the most exciting thing about about the seasons i can't wait for summer so i can eat that tomato mozzarella salad you were talking about and then i can't wait for fall so i can get back to the lettuces that's just so uh, have,
0: it let's talk for just a minute we just have a couple minutes left tell me how People can um, order food from you. I think that you, you know, I get your newsletters on occasion, so that's how I kind of know about what you're you're up to. But um, is there a way that people can get on a a subscription list so that they get your notices and or what's your website, and then where do they have to go to pick up their food?
3: Yes, okay. Uh, If you're not on our list already, you can go to our website. It's nolavor.net. Uh, we just redid it. We just did some work on it. So right on the home page, there is a uh, join our email list link. And once you're on the email list, you will receive our weekly specials. They come out on Thursday morning, so if you go do it right now, you'll get one tomorrow. Uh, and then the deadline to order for the week is Sunday, and pickup is at our place on Wednesday, from two to six. And we're at 2139 Barone. Right on the corner of Jackson Avenue, so very centrally located. Barone
0: and Jackson. Okay. Yes, that's about where you are.
3: Okay. Three blocks up from St. Charles.
0: Okay, and that's that, that is really central. You got parking? It's easy to park there.
3: Um, yes, it's an old gas station. It was originally built as a gas station, so we have the little port to share. You can just drive right in that way, park in the front, and run in and grab it. Like Fantastic.
0: Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, it's, it's important for folks who are busy working all day and really don't want to come home and first start cooking. That's not, I, I fit that category. I, I work out of my yeah. house a lot, but uh, I often work very late. And so, no, at it, 7, 8 o'clock at night, I'm not ready to start cooking in the kitchen other than right. heat, heating <laughs> things up. So it's good to have uh, the option. Um, and uh, tell us um, how somebody can get uh, a sus- subscription.
3: Um, yes. Uh, well, you could just, when you go on this uh, site, you'll see the, all the items we have available. There's a weekly special category, there's different categories for all the things that we have. And you can just order online. You pay online through PayPal. And then when you get here, you just grab it and go.
0: And Lloyd Nolivore at the corner of Barone and Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much for what you do. Have a great fall. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, and you have a good week, and I look forward to catching up with you again next Wednesday. And you know what? I'm not going to tip my hand yet because we don't have it all lined up. But mm, we have some very interesting musicians coming our way. So be sure and check back in. This is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Sound Conversations. You take care.
3: Bye.